Welcome to YMBA, a podcast brought to you by UCLA Anderson. I'm your host, Alex Brodnick. Our guest today embodies internationalism and strategic leadership. Originally from India, she established herself in the United States, seized opportunities in both Los Angeles and Sweden, and eventually relocated to Singapore. She now plays a pivotal role at the Walt Disney Company, serving as CFO of Southeast Asia and the APAC finance lead for media networks. With her emphasis on soft skills, adaptability, and the power of saying no, she's become a distinctive global leader. Let's welcome the dynamic and insightful Savita Ayer. Hi, Alex. I'm Savita Ayer. I'm thrilled to have you here, Savita. As I was reviewing your resume, your global experience immediately caught my attention. For those at the beginning of their careers, the prospect of working abroad can be both intriguing and a bit overwhelming. Given your experiences, do you have any advice or insights for those considering an international career path? I think number one, just be open to it, right? Um, and, and number two, make it known. Because I would say that this, uh, this global journey I started you know, now with Disney it started because I let my supervisors know at the time when I when I had joined that if there's ever an international assignment, even if it's two weeks, even if it's one month, whatever, you know, I'm putting my hand up, send me. And, you know, I did that for about three years. And then sure enough, this assignment in China kind of you know came about. So if people don't know that you want to do it, you know, number one, you have to be open to it. Number two, you need to let people know. And then number three, have a little patience because things aren't going to you know, always show up the way that when you want them to show up. Right. And I would highly recommend doing it when you're, you know, you don't have a ton of family obligations. You know, I've made moves both with and without family. And I can tell you once, once you start adding, you know, a spouse and a child and all, the, the, the complexity of moving just becomes so much higher. Right. Yes. I have two little girls in school now, and I can't imagine yes. moving them around. Yes. I don't even want to take a one-hour plane flight. Yeah, um, exactly. So, yeah, uh, you kind of touched on one of the other pieces I wanted to talk about. You said you have to be uh, patient. I mean, you've been at Disney for 15, more, 15 plus years. Like, a lot of people think, oh, I want to do this job for two years and then that and move around. And, like, you've had this incredible career and patience. Like, what... What do you think is like, what are the advantages to doing that? Are there disadvantages? Are there, are there advantages? Like, how have you looked at, uh, you know, at, at that piece of your journey at one company? Yeah. So, I mean, it is a bit mind boggling to me that I'm going to be uh, hitting 15 years this November. I started at Disney uh, at the beginning of the great financial crisis in 2008. Literally felt the, the door hitting me on my, you know, behind as I'm walking in. The, right. I think when you look at, at the journey from the outside, it looks like 15 years at a company, right? But if you look at the discrete components um, within those 15 years, um, you know, I started in strategy in the US, then I moved to finance in China in one business unit, which is consumer goods. Then I moved to finance in another business unit, which was a retail operation. Then I moved to finance in another business unit, which is digital media. And then I moved to finance in, you know, now taking a regional role in another country. So when you look at kind of those discrete components, it's, I would say, five, say, big different roles within that. There were a lot of changes. 
So I don't, it doesn't feel like, you know, it's on average three years. So it doesn't feel like I've done the same thing for 15 years. So if one gets the chance of doing so many variety, you know, a variety of things within one big umbrella company, I think that for me is really amazing because again, I've already learned the culture. I've already learned the, you know, kind of the basics of it. And now I just need to, you know, okay, I need to acquire a business unit skill set, or I need to acquire a regional skill set, um, or understand a certain consumer better. So maybe, you know, that that's a little bit more difficult these days, because I think the opportunities maybe are, are more with, you know, if you wanted to have a, a varietal career, you might go to a few different startups, right? But then you see, you would see five things on your resume and not, you know, one thing on your resume. I think it's the same thing. It's just, I, I got very lucky and I would happen to be able to do it at the same place. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. So have you had like a guiding, you know, force principle, like behind all this, or have you just, have you said sort of like been opportunistic and looking for the right opportunities or have you like had kind of, as you were describing before, I want like a business unit and then a geographic, you like, have you like, has that been part of your plan or it's been more like free flowing, go where the opportunity is? It's, it's a bit of both, right? Because I think if you're too free flow, then you just, you might just get taken with the wind. Um, so during those 15 years, there've been opportunities that have come up that I have said no to because I didn't think that they they aligned with where you know I wanted to go long term. So what I'm doing now is something that I had in my mind when I met people who were doing my role 10, 15 years ago. I said that is something that's very, very interesting to me, right? So in a way, I'm do I I I got to where I was. It, it took a few you know twists and turns. I just said you know I looked at what does it take to get there. Well. Okay, I need to I need to have a broad view. So how do I get a broad view? I can't do that in a in a being in a niche place, right? I need to go lateral a few times and and grab that broader view. So I think it 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 was a little bit. Um, I had a bit of an end goal in mind, but I didn't. I wasn't so rigid on the exact route I needed to take to get to that end goal. So it was keep the end goal in mind. And then as opportunities arise, pick the opportunities and, and define the road to, to get there, I would say. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. I love that you touched on the fact that you had to move laterally in order to get where you wanted to go in the long run. This is a strategy often overlooked by many, but as your career clearly demonstrates, it can yield significant long-term benefits. So are there learnings from your time at Anderson, be it on the analytical side, on the soft skills side, um, that you still use in your job today? Or you look back and said, oh, that was a, something I learned at Anderson, like that's you know, still sticking with you today? Yeah, you know what I loved about the, you know, I did the FEMBA program, right, which is a fully employed program. So it was working and getting the MBA. So we had classes like all, I remember all Saturday. And it was the case studies. Those were the best, right? Because they were not little problems, random problems in, in books, but you had this case study, no real right answer. You had to work with a bunch of people that, you know, you were just thrown together in this core group and you stayed with this core group. And just the, you know, just the way that you had to approach the problem, the way that, you know, 
There are people that disagreed with your opinion. There's you know, the way you had to put it together. Those skill sets, I think, have been probably the most, most, I would say, useful that I picked up at, at Anderson. Was And also at the end when, you know, all the teams would, let's say you have three teams present their answer, and they were all slightly maybe different, right? I mean, if it was a accounting case, then relatively you kind of came to the same answer. But if it was a strategy case or something else, everyone had a bit of nuance and, and there was no real, you know, right or wrong or what should they do. And that was also refreshing because now then when we come to this, and we're at junctures and it's like, oh, what should we do? And it's like, that's good to keep in mind because there is sometimes no right answer. And, and you just got to take the information you have and make the best decision you can at that point and then course correct if you need to. Yeah, that seems like a very real world application. It's like you're never going to have perfect information. Here's what we have. Let's make the best decision that we can and then go forward it, you know, bias for action. Yeah, and also that, like, you know, it's it's kind of interesting when we would do the Anderson case studies and then the groups, let's say, would present, this person's answer was maybe slightly different. And if they'd all gotten executed, maybe some would have worked and maybe some wouldn't have, but you couldn't have pointed and said, oh, they were totally wrong. So that's also good to keep in mind if you put something into place and it didn't quite work out the way that, you know, you thought it would. That was, you know, let's, let's again, look back and see what were the pieces that, that we had, you know, incorrect and can we fix those? And it wasn't like, oh, that person's not smart or that person doesn't know what they're doing. Again, it's, you know, you have, you have a set of information that's 50% of what you need and you kind of have to, you know, make a plan based on that. Exactly right. So what about friends, connections, networks, et cetera, from your time at Anderson? Has that been impactful in your life and career? Yeah. Absolutely. So, I mean, it's interesting you, you you mentioned friends and all that. Part of my, at that time I was living in LA, my kind of friend circle and my Anderson friend circle really, you know, melted in together um, to the point that one of my good girlfriends ended up marrying one of my Anderson school friends, right? Um, and then I still obviously have a very, you know, tight circle of, of Anderson friends that, that I keep in touch with. Unfortunately, most of them are in L.A. And, and I'm in Singapore for, you know, or I've been in Asia for over a decade. But usually when I make my trips back, and I haven't made one back since since uh, the beginning of COVID because of um, multiple reasons, but I connect with a lot of them when I, you know, head back. Um, and I just found the chair of the Anderson Alumni Association here in Singapore, so I'm hoping to make uh, the Singapore connections here and, and kind of get connected to people here. But yeah, it was an absolutely lovely time um, of my life. And, you know, again, I, I started as an engineer, right? And Anderson really helped me to get out of that engineering bubble and get into, you know, the commercial side of things, which is, again, where I wanted to head, but I didn't know really how to get there. Absolutely. Anderson excels at revealing opportunities that one might not have been aware of previously. So let's move into your backstory. I'm interested in how you came to get this yearning for a global experience in the first place. Yeah, so I'm actually born in India, and my family immigrated to the U.S. in a long time ago now. <laughs> um, so I start. I did my middle school, high school, college in the U.S. So you know, I think that's a bit of background that you know, at a very early age, I had seen my parents wanting to try something um, different and live somewhere different. So it was not a foreign concept to me, right? So I think that's kind of the first step. 
And then once we moved to the U.S., I mean, we settled and and I you know quite enjoyed everything there. Um, and then I moved to we moved to Baton Rouge, Louisiana. Um, <laughs> yes, um, my whole family, a lot of my family is still in Baton Rouge, Louisiana, and that was an interesting interesting growing up experience. And I moved to LA um, in 2001, and then I started Anderson and in 2002 and graduated 2005. When I when I got out of Anderson, I actually moved to Sweden at the time. I had a personal connection in, in Sweden, and so I moved over there. And I think it was just kind of that once I had gotten out of Louisiana and started coming to LA, I mean, LA in itself at that time versus Baton Rouge was like going to another country, right, for me. And then I just realized how much of that new experience that I had in, I enjoyed. Um, so I took a swing at living in Sweden. I even learned how to speak Swedish. And I worked at a consulting company in Sweden after I got my MBA at UCLA. But it was a little, you know, personally, it was just like a little too cold for me. And um, I came back to L.A. And that's when I started with Disney there. And when I came back to L.A. and worked at Disney I just got the chance to meet so many people globally that work for Disney all over the world. And I was like, wow, this would be really cool if one day I could go and work somewhere else, but for this company, right? And sure enough, in 2011, through one of the, you know, again, networks that I, I built through Disney, I got the opportunity to move to mainland China. And um, so I moved to mainland China in 2012, beginning. I stayed there a decade. Yeah, I just moved to Singapore physically about a year ago, right before the China COVID lockdowns. So I, I escaped those. If we have time, we can chat on that. And I think I just always had this desire for, you know, having grown up in a different country and then coming to America. And I saw America through like a different lens, right? So it was very easy for me to go to a place and look at it because I've always been used to looking at things through different lenses and not just, you know, um, one myopic lens. So I think that's kind of how the being global came around for me. That's so interesting. Yeah. Seeing that different lens at that, that point of view. And so yeah, I'd love to like unpack that a, a bit more, like working uh, for Disney in Los Angeles versus working for Disney in China and Singapore. Are there like, is it pretty much the same culturally wise, like the company culture, or like, are there so many different nuances? Like what are like the differences, you know, how business is done in between all these different countries? Yeah. So I would say if this applies to any, any multinational company, if they're, if they're good at what they do, they do have a company culture, right? Because I, I meet a lot of people from different multinationals around that I talk to, but they don't, they don't lose touch of the fact that you are doing business in, you know, if you were an American company and you're working in Asia, it is still, you know, you're still trying to serve at the end of the day an Asian consumer. So if you don't put on the lens of the Asian consumer, you're not, you're not going to deliver the end product to that Asian consumer. You know, same goes for a French company in the U.S. or a German company in Asia, right? So I think you have to strike that balance of, yes, you need to kind of, the, the, the culture is creative, of course, right? Creativity, collaboration, all those things are there. Um, but if you don't, if you don't um, really understand your consumer and then thereby your employee and, and have a little bit of room to, um, to, to make things a bit more local, then you won't, you won't succeed. 
right? And I think that goes for company and person, right? So at the end of the day, I would say even my, you know, ethos, philosophy, whatever it might be, I, I think I'm probably a bit more Western in my thinking, so to speak, even though I'm, you know, born in India, but primarily I say adolescence and kind of like those formative years where my you know, philosophy and my beliefs formed were in the United States. So in that way, I'm a bit more Western, but you know, having now lived, I think it's like so many years in Asia, both growing up and, and as an adult, it's become a little bit, again, through a different lens, localizing my philosophy to, to fit here. Otherwise I just won't survive, right? Yeah, that's very interesting to hear you describe that. So continuing into your background, I know we touched on the skills to work abroad, but I'm curious if you think your analytical background from consulting and strategy uh, has helped you get to where you are today. Or are there other foundations that you would recommend for someone starting out in their career? Yeah, I mean, I would say if anyone's looking to be in an executive role at um, small, medium, or large size company, uh, I think they would need to be, you know, pretty solid on their kind of strategic and analytical skills, right? Doesn't doesn't matter what you're what you're working on. I mean, that needs to be pretty forefront. However, I mean, again, I mean my background, my first degree was in chemical engineering, right? So I am I'm relatively very, you know, nerdy and analytical. That's gonna get you f- quite far in, let's say, a few of the of the, the beginning ranks of the career, but there's this this set of softer skills, if they're not developed, that person's gonna hit a ceiling, right? Because at where I am, everyone on my level is super smart, right? It's not about that. Like they're they're all, you know, super smart, intellectual, very strategic, very analytical. So it's not about that anymore. So I think on the way of, you know, after you get your MBA and you're, you're getting your first jobs, et cetera, to like work on influencing skills, softer skills, partnership skills, collaborative skills, because that's what's going to make all these you stand out from you know your other really really smart peers, right? There's a ton of Anderson grads out there. There's a ton of Stanford grads out there. There's a ton of HBS grads out there. They're all super smart, right? How do you differentiate yourself? That's a very good point. Those soft skills are so important and often more challenging to acquire. Going back to your comment on the benefits of the case studies, it's through these types of practical learning experiences, especially group work, that we get the opportunity to cultivate these skills. Pivoting a bit here, was attending business school always part of your plan? No, no, not really. Um, You know, again, getting out of college, um, I was doing chemical engineering um, I thought, okay, great. You know, there were a ton of chemical companies around. There were so many people getting those jobs. That was something I aspired to do. But then I realized that, you know, I actually enjoyed this other side of the business a bit, but I didn't really understand it. I didn't know really how to, you know, why were decisions made the way they were made? Why did we build a plant in this area and not that area? Why at that time, I remember Da- I was working for Dow Chemical. We had bought Union Carbide. You know, why was that decision made? Like, you know, I didn't really have that that broader view, right? Um, and then I got a role with Dow, in, and that's how I came to LA as a, a sales rep. So, like a you know technical sales rep uh, for the Southern California area. 
And that's when I started having a little bit more interaction with the business side of things and started going to our corporate headquarters. And I said, this is interesting. How do I get there? I didn't really know how to get there. And I don't know how I came about it, but someone turned me on to UCLA MBA. I was too happy with my paycheck, so I picked the FEMBA route. <laughs> yeah. So, I, I mean, I, I, that transition from engineering to business makes perfect sense. Talk about the transition from chemicals to media. Well, I mean, yeah. I, so, so you're right, because I could have taken um, a lot of people moved from like the engineering side to the business side in their companies to begin with, right? They, they stayed at the, the initial company. I think at that time, you know, I just, once I came to Anderson and once I kind of looked around um, at, at what everyone else was doing, it was almost this eye-opening experience for me. And this may sound a bit naive, but that like, there's just so many different roles and so many different opportunities out there. And when I, you know, when I, like I said, my family moved to Louisiana and I went to, you know, LSU, I got my engineering degree. Everyone I knew pretty much worked for a chemical company or a refinery. I mean, it was a huge industry there, right? It's like being in LA and being in the entertainment industry. So it it just was like really eye-opening that, oh, there's, of course, there's a finance team in um, in, in media and entertainment. I, it hadn't even crossed my mind, right? Um, so I think just having that like broader view and I realized, wow, there's just so much out there. But again, I didn't know what, what I wanted to do at that time. And so I ended up choosing consulting because I thought, okay, this is way, a way for me to sample a bunch of different things and then see where I wanted to you know, land up. And then did you have a decisive moment in consulting where you decided you wanted to move back to LA and focus on finance? When I came back to LA, I was just looking for, instead of going back to consulting, I said, you know, I'd like to work for the consulting arm inside a larger company, right? Like a strategy group inside a larger company. And, you know, honestly, I was just looking at, okay, what are all the companies headquartered in LA that have strategy groups inside (laughs) and what's available right now? So that was a bit opportunistic, I would say. It wasn't so, um, you know, targeted. Um, But I think that's the thing of life is that, you know, sometimes you have, Sometimes you need to be opportunistic. Sometimes you need to be strategic. Sometimes you just go with the flow. And it's, it's just a, you need to have the, you need to balance those three because if you're always super strategic or if you're always opportunistic or if you're always going with the flow, I feel you'll miss out on, you'll miss out on a lot of things. Right. The, this is saying about uh, being like, you know, steadfast with your goal, but flexible of how you achieve it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, I mean that's the that seems like the moral of your story. The moral of this podcast is is sort of you know, have that rigidity uh, in your in your your goal setting, but flexibility and you know your path, the ups and the downs. Of, I mean that's all jobs have that. All jobs are up and down. Yeah, all jobs have that, and some of the some of the decisions are going to get made for you, right? So like this personal decision I made, it was a location based decision, and I came back to LA, so I couldn't be so rigid about I have to be in this industry right or this this field and also choose the location like you have to pick what's your what's your immovable object and then work and then move the other things around it and and that's and but at different points in your life your immovable object is going to be different things right 
Yeah. Looking back on your journey, are there anything you would have done differently? No, because I wouldn't be I wouldn't be here, right? I mean, I, I, yeah. Uh, I think the only thing I and and I try to work on this today as as much as I can is, is just enjoy the now, right? Being you know again being the daughter of of, of, of immigrants, you have you you get fed this like. You have to you have to get your A's. You have to get you know top ranks. You have to do this, and you have to complete it quickly and fast and better than everybody else, right? And there is that that natural like ambition, which means that you know, it's a funny joke I have is that the real incident that happened when I got my engineering degree. My father was at graduation with me, and he asked me, you know, I'm I'm on top of the world getting my engineering degree. And he's like, okay, so when are you getting your master's? <laughs> And and when I got my MBA, my father also came to the, the graduation ceremony. He's like, okay, when are you getting your PhD? <laughs> right? So we just, like, I was always drilled with this, like, okay, you finish this thing. What's the next thing you're going to do? And just not sit and enjoy the moment that, like, hey, you know, you got your MBA. Like, that was a lot of, that was a lot of hard work. So So sit for a minute. Enjoy that moment. You continue to have your ambition. I think that's the... If I had to do, quote, anything differently, I would have enjoyed a few more moments. Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's a great piece of advice. We're all like so driven, like that deferred gratification. Oh, you know, I'll be happy when this happens or I complete this. Yes. Like, that's right. yes. And it's like, if that's your mindset, you'll never ever be happy because like you'll always be. You'll never ever be happy. Yeah. 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 I, think, I think one of the therapists that I've you know, spoken to said to me, it's like, if you have this when I, then I mindset, the when never comes because you just keep moving the goalpost. You keep moving the fill in the blank of the when I, right? When I make my first million, I'll be happy. When I make five million, I'll be happy. When I have 10 million, I'll be happy. It just keeps moving, right? Such insightful advice from Savita today. The struggle to appreciate the present moment can be a tough one. As Savita noted, living in the if-then mindset can mean forever chasing happiness that seems to recede into the future. Merely understanding this reality can profoundly transform our approach to life. Savita's journey and unique insights on global leadership, corporate culture, and personal adaptability have given us a wealth of material to reflect upon. Her emphasis on teamwork and strategic openness paints a rich picture of what it means to lead in an international context. Her guidance to identify our non-negotiables, maintain patience, and stay receptive to opportunities, all while keeping our long-term objectives in focus, is a powerful lesson for us all. It reminds us that the path to success is often winding rather than straight, and the journey itself, in all its complexities, is indeed worth treasuring. That's it for today. Thanks so much for listening. Stay with us this season on YMBA for many great stories to come. And be sure to check out Anderson on social media at UCLA Anderson.